a couple years back, my wife Sarah and I were serving at another church where I was the youth pastor. And at that church, there was this guy named Trey who was just the most lovable, nice guy you've ever met in your life. He's just an awesome guy. He was a strong leader in the church. He was a deacon, and he served with the kids where he did children's church on Sunday mornings and Sunday school for the kids. And he was actually on the search party that brought me in. And just an all-around great guy with a beautiful family. He had twin girls and a, a young son as well. And one Sunday morning, uh, it was just a typical Sunday morning, we had several conversations with him, and he was just cutting up like always. And, and that morning, Sarah and I actually sat behind his family, and me and him cut some jokes about one of the older guys at the church. And it was just a, a good, normal Sunday morning. And he did children's church, did Sunday school that morning. In the afternoon, we had a youth hangout, and at that youth hangout, he came and he dropped his twin daughters off with us. And then later on, when the time had kind of wound down a little bit, and kids had started to go home, I got a call from our pastor. And he told me that Trey had taken his life. And I got to tell you, that is the most shocked I've ever been in my entire life. My knees went weak. I've never had that happen before. I was just, just speechless. It was completely unexpected. No one saw it coming, and it shook all of us, the whole church, the community, to its core. And, and sadly, that's not the only loss like that that I've seen. I, I had a, a buddy that I grew up with, was in elementary school. We were close friends. And then in high school, he and his family moved away, and we kind of lost touch. I didn't stay, stay in touch with him at all, really. But in May of 2020, I found that he had had some difficult circumstances happen in his life and learned that he took his life as well. So here's why I'm telling you this. Something you probably already know and see are suicides and depression and anxiety and all of those things have been on the rise in our culture for years. And so we've got to talk about it. We've got to address it. And the reality is it affects all of us in some way, right? They, I've had conversations with some of you, and I know that there are some of you here who have battled with suicidal thoughts and with depression and with anxiety. And for some of you, it's not just a past tense battled, it's, it's now. You're feeling these things now, in this season. Others of you, it might not be to that extreme, but you still feel the feelings of sadness and depression and some, some anxiety, and quite frankly, some mornings, you just don't want to get up. Others of you, you might not feel it personally yourself, but you've seen this firsthand. You've had someone you love, someone you know, a friend, a family men member, who you've watched struggle with these things for years. You've watched them battle depression, battle anxiety, battle these suicidal thoughts, and maybe even you've had someone close to you who has taken their life. And then even there are others of you who you don't feel this, and you, for all you know, you don't know that anyone around you struggles with it, and you haven't been affected by it directly, and praise God for that. But the truth is, there are people around you who are battling these things in some way, shape, or form, so we've got to talk about these things. And so just to put a little disclaimer out tonight, what we're not going to do is we're not going to give you some magical formula 
that you're going to put in your life, and you're going to do X, Y, and Z, and then poof, it's gone. It's magically fixed once you do this formula. We're not going to do that. That's not what this is. And, and the truth is, these issues, they're so multifaceted, they're so layered, there's so many different angles that we can't cover every aspect of it in just one talk, one session tonight. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to see a man named Elijah, and he had gotten to the point in his life where he was just done. He was at the end of his rope, and he even cried out to God, Lord, take my life. I can't do this anymore. And we're going to study and break down this passage, going through these verses in hopes that we can pull some biblical principles that we can then use as tools to fighting these things, no matter where you are on the spectrum of these feelings, whether they're the most extreme ones or whether they're just something that you just battle from time to time. Hopefully we can pull some biblical principles that will give us the tools to fight these things. So you can open up your Bibles to 1 Kings 19. Before we dive into the text, I want to give a little bit of background. I told you we're studying a man named Elijah, and his name means the Lord is God. The Lord is God. He's a prophet of God, and that is his mission. His mission is his name. His mission is to make the Lord's name known, to, to make Israel know that Yahweh is their God. See, there was an evil king named Ahab, and in reality, he was more of just a passive king, because sometimes he'd worship Yahweh and lead Israel to worship Yahweh, but then other times he'd lead them to worship Baal. He just kind of went back and forth, and the root of the issue was he had a wicked wife named Jezebel, and she was so evil and so wicked that that became like a slang word for us in our culture. She led uh, Israel in worshiping Baal. She had all these prophets of Baal, this false god. And so God called Elijah to go and stand toe-to-toe against Ahab and Jezebel. And a- or Elijah goes to Ahab and says, hey, there's not going to be rain anymore. There's going to be a drought. And he claims this drought, and this drought happens. And then all throughout Elijah's life, he performs miracle after miracle after miracle. All these incredible things that God does through him to proclaim, hey, I am the one true God. He even raises a child back to life in his time. And it all comes to its head where there's this massive victory for Elijah on Mount Carmel where he directly calls out the prophets of Baal. They set up these altars for these sacrifices. The prophets of Baal can't get Baal to answer them. And then Elijah steps out, prays a prayer, and fire falls from heaven. It's this incredible victory in his life. It finally seems like, hey, this is it. Happily ever after, Elijah has won. He's accomplished his mission. He even calls off the drought, prays, and rain falls. And you're like, there it is. But then this is where we pick up in verses uh, 1 and 2 of 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, Ahab told Jezebel that Elijah had done, what Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So Ahab goes what he does and does what he does best. He cries to Jezebel, and Jezebel is infuriated. He, her prophets had been killed, and she said, hey, I'm coming after you now, Elijah. I'm going to kill you just like you killed my prophets. And this wasn't an empty threat. She was wicked and cruel enough to do it, and she had the power to do it as well. And so she says, I'm coming after you, Elijah. Continuing on in verse 3. It says, then he, was, then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, 
and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And so, stopping there for a second, Elijah, he gets news that Jezebel's after him, and he's terrified. And he runs and goes as far away from her as he can get. He, he leaves her, he gets out of town, and then he isolates. He says he left his servant, his close companion, left him and just went by himself. And that's something that we see people do who are battling with these things. They try to isolate. They cut off people from their lives. They separate. So Elijah isolates. He goes and sits under a tree, and he says, God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's enough. God, take my life. I'm as good as dead anyways. And, and here's the thing. No one is immune to feeling this way. I mean, this is Elijah, the prophet of God, who's performed many miracles, who brought someone from death to life, and yet here he is saying, God, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And so if Elijah can feel this way, if he's not immune to this, not a single one of us are either. We are all prone to feeling this way from time to time. And so then he, he, he goes to sleep, it says. So continuing on with the next part of verse 5. It says, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb, the mount of God. So stopping there for a second. So this angel comes and he feeds him. He wakes him up. He gives him food. He gives him water. And that brings us to our first point for tonight. When we have these feelings of, of depression, anxiety, these suicidal thoughts, these things that we're battling, we've got to address the physical needs. We've got to address the physical side of things. Here's the truth. We are both body and spirit. To address one and neglect the other is detrimental. We can't do that. Several years back, when I was in college, I had my tonsils out. Now, if you're a little bit squeamish, you can plug your ears because it gets a little bit gross, and your neighbor can tap you when I'm done. But I had my tonsils out a couple years ago in college. Horrible experience. If you plan on getting them out, don't do it. It's terrible. I, I've, heard, I've heard that the older you are, the worse it is. My little cousin, he like ate chicken nuggets the day after he got his out. But for me, I didn't eat for two weeks. And it was a miserable time, and at one point during these two weeks, there was these complications where I started bleeding. Like, and it wasn't just like a little bit of blood. Like, from my throat, I was bleeding a lot, and it was just over and over again. I couldn't get it to stop. And it happened a few days, and then by close to the end of the two weeks, it kind of stopped a little bit. And I was like, okay, I'm hungry. I'm ready to get out and do something. And Passion was having some event, so me and some friends, we went to Passion to go to this event because I figured I was good, it would be fine, I was going to eat my first meal, it was going to be great. And I told them, I was like, hey, if I get up and leave, you should follow me because that means I'm probably having issues again. And so like, all right, cool. Well, I make it through the whole service. And it had gotten to the last song, and I was good. 
And I just had to go to the restroom. So I was like, hey, don't follow me. I'm good. Go in the restroom. And they're like, okay, cool. So I go to the restroom, use the restroom. And then all of a sudden, I felt it coming. I started bleeding again. And this time, it was worse than it had ever been. It was just falling out. And I was sitting there hunched over a sink. And I couldn't get it to stop. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't really get in touch with my friends to tell them to come get me. I was kind of stuck. And this guy comes in, and he was younger. He was probably close to my age. And he looked at me and said, oh, my gosh, are you okay? And I was like, so you can't really talk when stuff's falling through your mouth. And I was like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. Just have my tonsils out. Like, I'm fine. And he said, oh, okay. And then he looked at me, and he said, have you tried praying about it? <laughs> and I, like, I thought he was joking. I started laughing. And so I looked, and he was looking at me with a dead serious face. And I was like, oh, like, no, no, like, I just had my tonsils out. I'm good. Like, it's fine. Like, he said, oh, okay. And then just walked out. I was like, dude. And then another guy came in, and he said, hey, like, what do you need from me? Like, what, what can I do to help you? And I said, I need you to get my friends. I need some salt, maybe to mix with some water to help it stop and all that. And he did those things. He took care of me. The point being, we cannot neglect one aspect while taking care of another. We are both physical and spiritual beings. And I know at times, especially within the culture of the church, we like to say, hey, have you tried praying about it? And prayer is absolutely good. And we're actually going to talk about addressing some of the spiritual side of it here in a moment. And prayer is a necessity, and reading scripture is a necessity. However, we are physical beings too, and we need to address the physical things. And so that's what this angel does for Elijah. He feeds him. He takes care of him physically. I, I was listening to uh, Pastor J.D. Greer give a talk on the same message, and he said something that I just thought was so good. He said, sometimes you don't need a prayer or a sermon. Sometimes you just need a nap, you know? Sometimes you just need a nap. You are feeling these emotions. You're feeling anxious. You're feeling a little down. You're, you're struggling with these things. And then on top of it, you're physically tired because you're not taking care of yourself. And your tiredness is sending your emotions through the roof. And he says, sometimes you just need to go and take a nap. And it's so true. We've got to address the physical needs. There's a tendency when we're battling these things to either overeat or to undereat or to stay in bed forever or to not get any sleep. We've got to be good about taking care of these physical needs, including going and talking to people, right? Going to find a spiritual advisor to talk through and help you process some of this stuff. Go, God has given wisdom to doctors and counselors. Go and talk to these people who are medically trained to help you with these things because the truth is some of it absolutely is spiritual and we're going to talk about how to address it, but some of it is a chemical thing for some people. And we need to seek these people that God has given wisdom to help us address these physical needs. Then the angel tells them, he says, hey, the journey is about to be too much for you, which is so crazy because Elijah just said, hey, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's too much for me. And he says, hey, eat some food because the journey's about to be too much for you. Here's the truth. Sometimes the journey might get harder. It might continue to get harder. There's this, this misquoted scripture that people will say that, you know, God won't give you more than you can bear. And the truth is that scripture is talking about temptation and he won't tempt you further than you can uh, go. He won't cause you to stumble into sin, but at times he will allow you to go through things that are too much for you. Why? To lead you into greater dependence on him. 
the only way Elijah was able to be sustained through that journey was through the food provided to, to him through the angel, the messenger of God. And so sometimes the journey is too much to lead us into greater dependence on God. And the journey led him to Mount Oreb. Now, for the two of you that might have paid attention in your Old Testament class, you might know some significance here, but for the rest of you who didn't, that is another name for Mount Sinai. Now, the rest of you, the lights are coming on. You know Mount Sinai. That's the mountain of God. That's where God met uh, the people of Israel. That's where he encountered them. In Exodus 19, after he had pulled them and rescued them from Egypt, they came to this mountain to meet with God, and God descended on the mountain with smoke and with fire, and it said the mountain was trembling, and God spoke in a thundering voice to Moses. And I want you to remember those things. We'll come back to that in a second. But he spoke in his thundering voice to Moses. And Moses then went up the mountain and communed with God. And then God gave them the Ten Commandments, the law. And all of this was God's personal commitment to Israel. It was God saying, hey, you are my people and I am your God. And so this mountain has extreme significance for the people of Israel and for Elijah. So continuing on in verses 9 through 10. It says this, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for you, Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So God asked him a question. Now, just a little bit of a secret here. When God asks a question, it's not for new information. God knows everything. When he asks a question, it's for the person he's asking the question to. And so he asks him, he says, Elijah, why are you here? What are you doing in this state? And what he's doing is giving Elijah an opportunity to process and verbalize these things that he's feeling, the things that he's been sitting in. And that is a key thing for us here. We can't just sit in these emotions, in these feelings. We need to be able to process them and verbalize them, get them out. Go find, again, a spiritual advisor or maybe a doctor of some type to help you be able to process these things and get them out. We can't just sit in them. And Elijah, he's brutally honest with him. He tells him exactly how he feels. He said, I have served you wholeheartedly, God. I have been on mission for you. And the people, they just won't listen. I am failing at my mission. I've lost all my friends who are like me, who are working with me. And God, I just feel alone right now. And God, now they're coming for me. And so he's fearful. And ultimately, he's just at the end of his rope here. And for some of you, that's how you feel. You have been laboring and working, maybe even for good things like Elijah. You've been on mission for God. You've been praying for someone. You've been trying to share the gospel. You've been doing these things, and it's just not working out, and you're getting discouraged. Or maybe you're discouraged for other reasons where you're not having success in an area where you thought you would have success, in the classroom, in a job, on the field, and it's discouraging. Maybe you feel lonely, like there is no one in your corner, like there is no one for you, like there is no one with you. And maybe you feel fearful and uncertain about the future and the things that are coming. And at the end of the day, you're just at the end of your rope like Elijah was. 
But then God answers him in verses 11 through 13. It says this, it says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So picture this scene here. He's in this cave. He's just spilled his heart out to God. And God says, hey, come out to the, the face of the mountain. And as he's coming out, before he gets out there, all of a sudden this gusting wind comes. It, it's roaring through, it's breaking apart the mountain, it's loud. And then when that stops, this massive uh, fire comes, and the fire is hot, and he feels the heat on himself. And an earthquake comes, and it's shaking everything, he can barely stand up. And then when, after all of these things happen, it's a quietness, a stillness. See, when those first three things were happening, that's kind of what Elijah expected, right? That's his category. That's what he thinks when he thinks of this mountain. God descending on the mountain, this, this cloud, this smoke, this, this strong wind, this fire descending, the mountain shaking. He has a category and expects that, but at the same time, it was completely unexpected. Why? Because God wasn't in any of these things. Because after they passed, it was quiet. It was still. It was peaceful. It was a gentle breeze like a whisper that came. And then God said, hey, come out here, Elijah. And he stepped into that gentle whisper. He stepped into the stillness. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? See, God spoke to him in a gentle whisper because that's exactly what he needed in that moment. A whisper is... is it's close, right? It's intimate. He, he needed the closeness of God in that moment. He needed to know that God was near. I think back to when I was like four years old. I was terrified of the water. Still not the biggest fan. I sink like a rock, but I can swim now. But when I was four, I couldn't swim, and I was terrified of the water. And I was watching TV, and this commercial came on, and it really sucked me in. And it was these kids with these shark goggles. So it was like shark goggles, had a fin on it, had shark fins and feet things that you could swim. And these kids were just zipping through the water. I was like, I need that. That's what I need right there. And my parents being good parents, knowing that this child won't get in the water, now is asking to get in the water, they call Toys R Us that day, go to the Toys R Us, get the toy, and then come back and we go to the pool that day. And so we get there, the pool's crowded, it's crazy, it's kind of chaotic because it's a hot summer day. And I put on my, my shark goggles and stuff, and dad goes in the water before me, and I step down, and then all of a sudden there was a realization. I was like, wait a minute. I don't have, like, magical powers now. This is still the same old Ryan. Like, I still can't swim. Still terrified. So I step down in the water, and I'm in it, and all of a sudden just, like, just fearful, just terrified of all the craziness, terrified of the water, just unbelievably scared and petrified at this moment. But then all of a sudden, my dad came near me, and he grabbed me, and he said, hey, I got you. It's okay. I'm right here. 
and immediately the fear just left me. It was gone. I was still in the water. I was still in the chaos. I still was not a good swimmer and couldn't swim at all, in fact. But now my dad was holding me, and I knew it was going to be okay because he was close. That's the picture here with Elijah. He comforts him with the intimacy of a whisper because that's what he needs. He didn't move in the ways he expected, but he moved in the way that he needed. And that's exactly what he does for us. You see, Elijah was safe in the mountain during all the craziness. When the the wind and the fire and the earthquake came, he was tucked away safely in the mountain. While those things raged against it and broke it apart, he was safe. And then afterwards, he was able to step into the gentle whisper. He was able to step out there. He was safe in the mountain. And then there on that mountain, God, where he committed to the Israelites and committed himself to them, he reminded Elijah of his commitment to him. And that's what he does for us because Jesus is our mountain. While we were broken and dead in our sins, while we were completely and utterly hopeless, Christ stepped into creation. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. And then he was taken and he was put on a cross. And there on the cross, demonstrating his great commitment to us, he weathered the wrath of God. He took on the full wrath of God that was poured out not for his sins but for ours. And he died on that cross, but he arose again in victory over sin and over death. And the promise is that if we put our faith and trust in him, making him the Lord and Savior of our lives, we are now tucked safely away in Christ. And that he weathers God's wrath for our, on our behalf, so then that we can step into the closeness and the intimacy that God has for us. Christ is our mountain. Because of his refuge and his salvation, we're able to step into this intimate relationship with God freely. And that brings us to point number two, is when you're battling these things, you've got to rest in God's closeness. Rest in God's closeness. Set your mind on the things that God has done for you. Dwell on the cross and dwell on him being sheltered in him and him taking on the wrath, God's wrath for you. Dwell on the great love that you've been loved with. Know that you are loved beyond measure. Spend time thinking about the promises of God. The promise that he will be with you always. That in fact he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell within you. The promise that he is working all things for your good. And the promise ultimately that there will be a day where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more anxiety, no more depression. There will be a day where we can dwell with him in perfection and full glory for eternity. These are the promises of God. Remind yourself of those things. Remind yourself of the ways that God has come through for you. Remind yourself of the ways he's working in your life. I had a mentor one time that just said something that really resonated with me and still to this day does. I was in a season where I was struggling. I was discouraged. I was down. And he said, Ryan, dwell on the evidences of grace in in your life. Dwell on the evidence of grace, all these gifts that God has given you in the little things. 
Because you've got a family that loves you. You've got Sarah. You've got friends. You've got a job. You've got a house, a roof over your head. Look at all these little evidences of grace that are gifts from God and let that remind you of his goodness and the way that he loves you. Like we said earlier, Mount Sinai had an extreme significance for Elijah. It was a very physical and tangible place that he could go to. And so maybe for you, you can find a physical place that reminds you of something about the character of God. And when you're feeling these ways, you can go to this physical place and just rest in the closeness of God in that place. Go there. And then God asks him the same question again. Why are you here, Elijah? And that's where Elijah answers in verse 14. Now, his answer is not what I would expect. After having this experience, I would expect him to say, I'm here to serve you, Lord. I'm here to rejoice. I'm here because I love you. I'm here, whatever. But that's not the answer he gives. He, we're not going to read it because of time, but he gives the exact same answer as before. I'm discouraged. I'm lonely. I'm fearful. And here's the reality, guys. It does not always just magically disappear. (laughs) For some people, if God works in that way where he miraculously takes it from you forever, praise God. That's incredible. But for the majority of people who battle these things, the reason why I keep calling it a battle is because that's exactly what it is. It's a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly battle that you have to consistently fight. It's a, it's a fight that you might have to fight your entire life, but you fight with hope knowing that it's a fight that you have won because of Jesus on the cross. It's a fight that you do not have to fight forever. But for now, while we're in this life, you can rest in the closeness of God and fight this battle because you know what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And then the last verses, verses 15 through 18, God tells them essentially Go get back on mission. Go back. Say, go back the way you came. Go back and anoint these different people. Go back and anoint Elisha, who's going to come after you. Go back and get on mission. Because even though you don't see it, I'm still working. I'm still doing incredible things. Your mission is not over. It is not pointless. In fact, your mission is much bigger than you. Evil will not win. Elisha is going to actually continue it long after you are gone. And by the way, Elijah, you are not alone. He tells him that there are 7,000 others who have not bowed their knees to Baal. You are not alone. Just because you do not see it does not mean that I am not working. So go back on mission. And that brings us to the third point. Remember your purpose. Remember your purpose. Remember that you have purpose. Oftentimes, when people are battling these, these feelings, these emotions, these, this thing of suicide and these suicidal thoughts, they, they come to this place where they feel like they have no purpose, no reason to live. There's no reason for their existence. And you need to hear this. You absolutely have purpose. You are here for a reason. You need to understand that God loves you That the same God that has numbered the stars has numbered every single hair on your head. He loves you and he has called you. And you, you have a role in this grand, divine, cosmic plan of redemption. He wants you, invites you to step into it. 
He could have done it all himself, but instead he chooses us to come and to take part in this mission of reconciliation, this mission of drawing the world to himself. You have a purpose, and your purpose is to glorify God and make his name famous. Jesus commissioned the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have a mission. You have a purpose. And this is far bigger than you, and it will go on long after you're gone from this earth. And ultimately, your mission here will echo into eternity. You have a grand purpose. So fight. Fight these feelings of discouragement of loneliness, of depression, with the truth of your divine purpose and mission. Know that as long as there is breath in you, that you have purpose. You are here for a reason. God wants to use you. And know that he's working even when you don't feel it and even when you don't see it. Know that you're not alone. First and foremost, believer, follower of Christ, know that you are not alone because the Holy Spirit resides in you. He is there dwelling in you. He is with you. You He will never leave you nor forsake you. Know that as a Christian, that you are a part of a global family working for a mission, all united under the head of Christ. You are not alone. And know you are not alone because we, your leaders, me, Sarah, Eric, the band, everyone, your home team leaders, people in this church love you and care for you. That's why we do this. If we didn't care, we wouldn't do this. But we love you guys, and you are absolutely not alone. We are here with you, and we care for you. And so just as Eric and the band come back up, I just want to close with this. Unbeliever. There's there's some of you in here who you are not followers of Christ. You've never made that step to trust him with your life. You need to understand that apart from Christ, there is no hope. But in Christ, he has extended this hope to you. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that you would step into the hope that is in Christ. Step into this relationship. Be tucked away safely inside him while he takes on the wrath that is inquired for your sins. Trust him with your life. And then receive the Holy Spirit. Receive a peace and a joy beyond measure. Know your life will not be easy. Difficult things will come. You might still battle the same things you battle now, but now you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You have a body of believers around you. You have a divine purpose and a mission and a calling on your life, and you know ultimately you have victory in Christ. Step into this new life. For the believer, the follower of Christ, Maybe you're in here and you found yourself like Elijah. You found yourself discouraged, down, depressed, and maybe even you're just saying, God, I I don't know if I can do this anymore. Address the physical needs. Take care of yourself. Go get help from a medical professional. Come talk to us. Talk to someone. Make sure you're eating. Make sure you're sleeping. You're resting. Rest in God's closeness. Remind yourself of what's been done for you and the great love that was demonstrated for you on the cross. And remember your purpose and get back on mission. You have a job that God wants to use you. He wants to accomplish through you. And for others of you followers of Christ who maybe you're not struggling with this at all or maybe you've never struggled with this, praise God, but look out for your brothers and sisters. 
be vigilant, be aware, pay attention, look for the signs, check up on them, ask questions. When you see cries for help, engage. Galatians 6.2 calls us to bear one another's burdens, to come alongside one another, help them take care of themselves physically, help point them and remind them of the hope they have in Christ and help come alongside them in the mission. But pay attention and be vigilant because sometimes you just don't know what people are going through. Pay attention.